0: ESPN 97.7 and 100.1. Watch live on QSportsTalk.com. All across CNY, it's the 315. Here's Brian Higgins. All
1: right, here I am. Here we go. Basketball game tonight in Tallahassee. 7 o'clock tip. You can listen, of course, over on TK99 if you're opting for the television version that will be on. ESPNU this evening. Anish Shiroff and uh, Jordan Cornett so will have it down from Tallahassee. With that, we welcome in uh, friend Anish Sharaf here. Uh, Anish, welcome in. You know, I I, I wanted to talk lacrosse to you this week, and then it just turns out you, you've been sucked into Bayheim land. So, uh, how how's life down in Tallahassee? How, how are you ready for Game One post whatever the heck it was that Jim's been saying the last few days?
0: Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. We'll see if that has any bearing on what happens on the court, but. You know, on the court, it's a critical juncture in the season for both Syracuse and Florida State. Realistically, both teams probably have to win the ACC tournament to get in. So you start to look at where do you slot in? And there's that amoeba in the middle of the ACC that both teams are part of. So you're trying to separate a little bit. Syracuse still has an outside shot at a double bye, it would take a lot of work. But they have the games in front of them after this one. Uh, To do that, they have to get on a run. But at the very least, getting that single bye and not having to play on that first day.
1: You know what's crazy, Anish, is that is all true. And in normal years around here, that would have been the talk about town all week long. Because you look at the standings, and you know Syracuse is seven and six in the league, and Florida State six and seven. That's obviously makes tonight's game important. And we haven't talked about that at all because of all the band, uh stuff. It, it is wild how diverted our attention has been from the basketball here the last few days. Because you're right; like this is a hugely important game when it comes to the ACC standings.
0: It is, and uh, you know there is that side story that goes with it, and. You know, I've traded texts with assistant coaches and other people around the league, and it's a similar consensus. Uh, A lot of what Jim Beheim said was the truth. Mm -hmm. He should not have called out the teams individually, Miami, Wake Forest, Pittsburgh, uh, especially when you consider some of the things that have happened in the Syracuse program over the years. And, oh, by the way, none of that stuff is illegal anymore. Uh, It it sort of is what it is. Uh, That's just college basketball now you know, we're saying the quiet part out loud but we're also doing the quiet part out loud uh, you know you look at miami and what john ruiz has done with that program you know, giving guys four hundred thousand dollars in a car come play at miami uh hey here's a hundred thousand dollars in a car come stay at miami so that is now all on the table you don't have to be sheepish about it you don't have to I'll hide behind, um, you know, these these shady dealings in college basketball. They're not shady anymore. They're all legalized. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can bemoan the fact that that's the landscape that we live in, and I think Jim Beheim had to do it again. He would probably make it a a more uh, broad, brush-stroked statement where you're lamenting what has happened with amateurism. But uh, listen, the guise is over. The mask is off. This is what college athletics is now.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know how uh, I don't know how organized the FSU student section will be to get at him tonight, but I'm sure they'll have uh, something. Uh, th- they're going to be at the Pete at Pitt in a couple of weeks. That that's going to be a wild scene, is it not, Anish? With the, how how that student section gets on it, like that that's going to be something in like a week and a half when Syracuse is there.
0: Yeah, and there's more history with Syracuse and Pitt, and to Jeff cable's credit um he's revitalized the oakland zoo he's revitalized the peak which is you and i know when we mm-hmm. uh, when we were in college together that place had just opened up and for years it was as good of a home court advantage as there was not just in the big east but in college basketball so that place has been re-energized and obviously with uh you know the direct shot at pit yeah i I would expect the Oakland Zoo to uh, get creative.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, we, we all remember after Michael Carter-Williams' thing, like the whole student section was wearing robes. Um, they're going to, like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what they're going to do to top it. I just know they're going to do something, and that's going to be worth watching in a couple weeks. But we're looking forward to the game tonight. QS in FSU, what, what are you expecting in the actual basketball game tonight? We've done very little talk around here about the actual basketball. What, what do you think it's going to look like on the court tonight?
0: I think you'll see some points. Uh, one thing Florida State does not do well is defend the three-point shot. Uh, teams are shooting almost 40% from three in ACC play. So you look at somebody like Joe Girard, who's been in a little funk, and he's been up and down uh, all season. Um, and I know he's been a lightning rod for the fan base. This might be an opportunity for him to get on track and, and have a good Joe Girard game. Uh, can Judah Mintz build off of what we saw after the benching against BC, we know his potential, and he's been a pretty good player most of the season for Syracuse. Uh, but I thought he took over that game down the stretch. Jesse Edwards, we know, is coming off a big game. And then I, I want to see rebounding on the Syracuse side from guys like Charlie Bell, uh, or Chris Bell, excuse me, and, um, uh, and Benny Williams if he gets back in there. Uh, you-, you know, they-, they haven't had much rebounding from the three, And for Florida State, the guy to watch for is Darren Green. If he hits a couple of shots early, uh, he can go for five, six, three-pointers in a game, and he can really expose your perimeter defense. He's a guy that you need to fear. Matthew Cleveland has quietly put together a first, maybe second-team all-conference type of season. Mm -hmm. He's been a double-double machine. What Florida State does not have this year because of injuries, And guys who left the program before they should have, they don't have the depth that we're used to seeing from Florida State. It's no longer a team that can run 10-11 guys at you in waves, almost as if it was hockey substitutions. So their starters play more minutes. But one guy who, again, is someone to watch is Baba Miller. Um, Tall, lanky, 6'11", freshman from Mallorca, Spain, suspended the first 16 games. I just talked to him at Shooter Out. He said he's still working his way back into game shape. He had shin splints in the offseason, then the suspension. This guy oozes potential, uh, probably a lottery pick if he decides to turn pro. If he comes back, he'll be on the shortlist for ACC preseason player of the year next season. Uh, just immensely talented. The raw potential is there. And, you know, he's been up and down, didn't score over the weekend, but did have a nice game against Clemson. Uh, again if the light goes off for him and he can play to his potential and he's feeling good that is a special special talent Florida State has
1: you know what we had red Autry on the show the other day and you know that's the first name he mentioned like his stats don't you know say that he had the weird situation with the NCAA and eligibility and you know just a bunch of nonsense that really shouldn't be a thing in this uh, time and place anymore but he's out there now like, when you look at the talent of a guy like this, it seems interesting, right? Because like, he's the first name that I'm getting mentioned by like all the Syracuse people. And you know he's he's not Matthew Cleveland. He's not their best player right now. But he feels like a guy that could pop off at any given time.
0: They're waiting for him. They're waiting for him. And he's not playing a whole lot. He might get in for 15, 20 minutes. But you're kind of waiting for him to really impact the game. He is long Uh, He is lanky. He he can dribble the ball for a guy at his size. He was 6'2 at age 14 and then 6'11 at age 18. So basically was a guard his entire life, and then he hit a growth spurt. So he's kind of one of those bigs who has the skills of a guard. I know that's overused. He can shoot it a little bit, even though the numbers don't bear that out. They really like him. They're bullish on his talent. And because of what you pointed out, you know, the 16-game suspension was essentially because an agent, had paid for him to go work out in the U.S., improper travel benefits. He ended up paying that money back. He only thought it would end up being a, a four- or five-game suspension. Ended up being a year-long suspension. Florida State appealed it down to 16 games. And all that happened before Florida State really was even involved in the recruiting process. So, again, it's the NCAA having its priorities straight, right? Let's Let's... Punish a kid for maybe you know, not knowing, um, you know how every little thing works. He's a kid from Spain. He's mm-hmm. international. Um, and instead of the, the bigger fish that are out there to fry, they, they focus their efforts on that. So yeah. Yeah, that's that's where the NCAA is. But that's that's another show. And that's another topic.
1: Uh, yeah. Meanwhile, at Syracuse, you know you can have a, a, a donor NIL. You fly up a potential recruit and sit him courtside, and everybody knows it's happening. and It's all perfectly legal. Like it's all the same stuff. Just like let the kid play basketball. The whole thing's just kooky. Uh, <coughs> and I
0: think so your. Point when you say that, that, that's what drives people a little mad about what Jim Beheim said because, again, hey, just look in your own backyard. Yeah,
1: (laughs) it man, that's why it's been a really funny couple weeks around here. Anish, we've had a lot going on with this stuff, it it has taken some twisted turns. And Anish, your office, our guest, and you know, not not that Leonard Hamilton has said anything wild, but he fits in the Beheim category because you look at Leonard, he's 74 years old and he's been doing it and doing it well. Uh, for a long time it, does it feel like he's in this for the long haul right now what, what's the sense you get out of Leonard down there who's the all-time uh, winningest guy they've got
0: yeah I think he's at least going to be around for a few more years it's funny we were talking to coach Hammond shoot around and he mentioned that in 1975 when Syracuse was in the final four in San Diego he was there at the final huh. four and he mentioned Beheim being an assistant and he said I remember Now, the next year, Roy Danforth left for Tulane. Didn't really understand why he would leave Syracuse for Tulane. He said, Jim took over, and Jim's four years older than I am, so I was 26, and Jim was 30. So I remember when Jim was the youngest coach in college basketball or one of the (laughs) youngest coaches in college basketball. But when you look at Leonard Hamilton's career, he's up for the Hall of Fame, second year on the ballot. This is a guy who turned around Oklahoma State. He turned around Miami. He turned around Florida State. To me, those are all-fame credentials, and I expect Florida State to hit the transfer portal pretty hard in the offseason. They have a style. They have a type, long big guards, long athletic bigs, um, you know he's figured out a blueprint that's made him very successful. You know, this last decade in the ACC.
1: Yeah, and, uh, and more seven footers wandering around than it feels like anybody else in the country can get their uh, get their hands on seems to be the plan. All right, Anish, we, we got to turn the page here to a, a little lacrosse. Uh, uh, I, I know you'll be uh, obviously working your way back into that more and more when uh, hoops uh, winds down here. But uh, w- what are you making of this season? Uh, and we'll start with Syracuse. You know it was not the most aesthetically pleasing opener for the Orange uh, last week, but. Uh, Joey Spolena, the new number twenty-two, is on on the field. Uh, what kind of excitement are you, are you getting off this program? And it, what what's realistic, I guess, for you uh, this year with the arch? Uh,
0: that's the question I've been getting from a lot of Syracuse people. What are the expectations? And uh, the painful answer, unfortunately, is I, I don't think there are any. And and that's not a knock on uh, where this program is headed. I just think for this season in an era where so many kids across college lacrosse have extra years of eligibility, have the COVID year and everybody else is older, there is going to be a significant tactical and experience disadvantage when you're Syracuse and you're playing young guys. This is the start of the youth movement. This is the rebuild. Uh, You you go back to, what was it, 2007 when Syracuse missed the NCAA tournament? Yeah. And they brought in that great freshman class. Different time, and you still had some quality holdovers from 06, from 07, for those 08, 09 teams. So it, it's different. Yeah. In this case, a lot of the guys who had been there were kind of placeholders and then they move on and it's Spolino and Thompson and some of these young players that they've brought in. So to me, the expectation really is non-existent. I don't think they're going to get into the NCAA tournament, but if you can walk away at the end of the season, and say, hey, there is a really solid core. And you look ahead to next year with Hiltz and Thompson and Spilina as one of the best attacks in the country in 2024. If you feel that you've solved a couple of key positions on defense and in the midfield, that's what you want. You want to walk away from this season saying the team got better, uh, their young players got better, and that may not show up in the record, but it needs to be a springboard into next year because you're building for 2024 and certainly 2025.
1: Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's the case. And, you know, the schedule is just brutal. So, I mean, they're going to go against all of these uh, top teams uh, for the most part, and uh, we are, what are we, barely more than a week away from them having to deal uh, with uh, Maryland who came out and blowtorched uh, Richmond last week. So what do you feel? I saw you voted uh, Notre Dame uh, number one in your first poll of the season, so you got the Irish up there. Obviously Maryland will be in play, uh, Virginia will be in play, you know, Cornell down the road, they were in the title game last year. What, what, what is your sense uh, nationally of what, what this is going to look like this year?
0: You know the one thing with Notre Dame that jumps out to me. I I saw a lot of those parents and a lot of those kids uh, at the PLL in the weekends following Championship Weekend, where Notre Dame never got a shot. Let's call it what it was. It was probably one of the biggest travesties in the history of the sport and in the history of the bracketing and on Selection Sunday that the number four team in the poll was denied a spot in the NCAA tournament. That that was
1: totally crazy. Totally crazy. It
0: just you know it didn't make sense and. I do think the Ivy regresses a little bit. They had a lot of one-goal wins, and that's to their credit. They won those games. Um, But to me, Notre Dame with two Cavanaugh's coming back, getting Chris Fake and Brian Tevlin from Yale, two guys who were a big part of that championship core. Fake was an All-American defenseman as a freshman on the 2018 Yale team, and Tevlin was the heart and soul of the team. He was the leader. I've never heard a coach rave about a kid's leadership abilities the way Andy Shea raved about Brian Teplin's leadership ability. And I just think this Notre Dame team, I heard stories about Pat Kavanaugh before the season putting up last year's NCAA tournament bracket in every kid's locker. (laughs) To me, I just get a sense. Yes, they may not be as talented on paper as a Georgetown or a Virginia, but I just think this chip on their shoulder and with everything that went on last year, we saw how it fueled Maryland the year before when they came so close. Uh, to me, I think Notre Dame is going to be a championship weekend team. I really like Virginia. They've reloaded. Connor Schellenberger, this is now his team. I would expect more fluidity offensively. Uh, it almost helps not having that more. They don't have to share who's the quarterback. It's now Schellenberger's team. Um, and then I look at a couple of teams you know, outside of the ACC. Maryland, even though they lost a lot from the uh, One of the best teams ever last year. Uh, John Tillman, in my opinion, is the best coach in the country. They're going to reload. They looked great against Richmond, and their defense is still dynamite. Ajax, Zapatello, Brett Makar, those are two of the top five defensemen in the country. Logan McEnany was a stud in goal last year. It was almost unfair that as good as Maryland was everywhere else, other goalie ends up being the MOP championship weekend. That's not right. That's not fair. Uh, And then the other team that I think this is their year, they've been close as Penn. Uh, A ton of experience coming back. They were so beat up at the end of last year. A healthy Penn team probably gets to championship weekend a year ago. They just weren't healthy, and they were so beat up. They've got Sam Handley, who might be the toughest matchup, In the game this year, 6'5", 230-pound midfielder from Oregon who can essentially bulldoze people. A lot of experience surrounding him. They've got a coach who schedules tough. Uh, I think Penn's the team in the Ivy, and, and those are kind of my four Going into the season, I put Georgetown in that mix as well. Absolutely loaded, and Tucker Dordovic's going to make a difference.
1: Uh, yeah, Syracuse fans, that that's going to that's going to sting. If you got to root for Tucker, we're in the, the Hoyas colors this year. But what what can you do? Well, it'll be a fun year. We'll see how the Orange can insert themselves, because they play so many of the teams uh, you've uh, mentioned this year. All right, Anish, uh, good stuff. I'm sure we'll talk uh, Lax again before too long, and we'll be uh, watching tonight. Thanks for hopping on. All right. See you, Brian. Take care. All right. That is Anish Sharoff. You'll see him tonight on ESPNU alongside Jordan Cornett on the broadcast of the basketball game. With that, come back for a final wrap on this hour brought to you by William Batar. Hurt in a car. Call William Batar, 444 Final wrap. What's on tap next here on QSportsTalk.com and ESPN Radio.